We are finishing up this month uh, the book of Proverbs, which I feel has been an incredible study for me personally. It's been extremely profitable for me. I've seen God work in my life, and I feel like insert these Proverbs into my heart in a way that um, I don't think I've experienced before in reading this book. And so we're, we're wrapping that up um, this month. I know we could keep going, and if you've been here a while, you know we could keep going, but we are going to move into a new series right now, Lord willing, in, in August. But the way we're wrapping up Proverbs is by looking at collections of the wise sayings in certain topics. And so we've looked at Christian friendship, the wisdom of Christian friendship. We've looked at the wisdom of trusting God. We've looked at the wisdom of godly counsel. Kevin preached that one for us. Last week, the wisdom of cherishing your family. And this week, we're looking at the wisdom of contentment. And so I want to ask one more time for the Lord's help in that. Father, we ask as we look at Your Word, we pray for Your Spirit's help. We believe, God, this is worship as well, to open Your Word and to hear from You. So that is my prayer, Father. Uh, that I could step aside this morning in that supernatural sense that you would put a guard over my mouth and to keep me from saying anything that's unhelpful. God, you would open my mouth to say all that would be good and that we collectively would hear from you and that you alone who knows the hearts of men would speak to us in the exact way that we need to be spoken to And that you would overcome our humanity and help us to hear. To have ears to hear. And God, I pray that through your word, you would bring life this morning. You would sustain life this morning. You would build people up, encourage and exhort. And God, if needed, bring to repentance and confession us and our sins. Or from our sins. Be with us as we continue today, God, and thank you for this gathering in Jesus' name. Amen. So Scott, uh, Scott said it right. This is the only true prayer that you find in the book of Proverbs by a man that we don't know anything about, perhaps not even how to pronounce his name. I'm going to say Agar. I may say it three or four different ways before the sermon's done, but that's how I'll start off. And Agur gives us the only true prayer. You could pray all the Proverbs. Many of them maybe talk about and point us to God in, in, in how we could pray to Him. But this is the one written down prayer in Proverbs. And the second half of the prayer is what we're going to focus on today, where Agur prays and says essentially, God, give me what is needful for me. Now, all of us pray about the concerns of our life. And I imagine all of us pray about material concerns. And I think all of us pray about immaterial concerns. So we pray about our finances. We pray about our jobs. We pray about our vehicles. We pray about our bills. We also pray about our talents. And our skills, we pray about our relationships. And I find it significant that here in the book of wisdom, we are given a model prayer about how to ask God regarding practical things. 
And, and so if you're, a, if you're a note taker and you have one of our worship guides and, and that helps you to study, uh, we're going to fill in some of these blanks this morning. We're going to start with looking at three things that I think we should note about this prayer in the book of Proverbs, this prayer of Agur. First of all, the way that he prays recognizes God as our true provider. He is praying for provision. And he is recognizing that ultimately God is our true provider. Proverbs, in which this prayer is attached, Proverbs teaches us that we should work. That we should work diligently. Proverbs also tells us that we should seek to become skilled in what we do. And that as we grow in skill and we work diligently and we earn, we should provide for ourselves and provide for others. And those who who can work and are unwilling to work, instead they want to rely on other people to provide for them even though they could provide for themselves. Proverbs says that is not wisdom. Proverbs says that lazy people, sluggards, sluggards are not are not blessed by God. But the theological foundation of our work is that God is still the ultimate provider. No matter how many hours you put in, how much you sweat, how much sleep you lose, how hard you exert your effort, at the end of the day, you don't get to claim provision for yourself. God is the ultimate provider. You may say, I studied and learned. God gave you the ability to do that. You may say, I got up this morning and I went to work. You didn't put air in your lungs. God did. The resources that you are using to fashion or to create or to configure is His resources. From His throne, He provides for His people and His creatures. And so wise people recognize it is God who makes us skilled. And it is God who places everything in our hands. And that is so important. Because if we see that we place things in our hands, we will close our fists around those things. Because we have a right to them. But if we see that God places everything in our hands, then we are ready to be obedient with what God gives us. So we see that in this prayer of Agur. We also see that Agur confesses our limited knowledge when it comes to our needs. That in his prayer, he confesses his and our limited knowledge when it comes to our needs. Here's what I love about this prayer. Agur doesn't just say, God, please meet my needs. And he doesn't give God a list of things that he needs. His prayer is, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me what is needful for me. In other words, he says, God, you decide what is needful for me, and then you give me that. That decision is yours. You see, it's possible because we often think we know what we need. So God, here's what I need, and I just need you to do these things. It's possible, it's probable that we don't really know what we need, but it's possible that you might pray for too little. Because you might not really know what is going to be required of you today. 
or tomorrow or this week or this month. And so you may pray for too little. And certainly it's possible you may pray for too much. More than you actually need. And over and over in Proverbs and other parts of of the Bible, we are told that if you are given more than you need before you're ready to handle an abundance, it will ruin you. The thing that you think you may need might be your spiritual ruin. You might even be angry at God because He's not giving you this thing. Yet that thing might pull you from Him and might ruin your soul. And He holds it back in His love for you. The third thing we see in this prayer from Agur who is resolved to trust God to give him what he needs in any situation, is this prayer teaches us that discontentment is a danger to our soul. Agur prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. And I think his concern is how his heart might respond to either one of those extremes. Because there is a danger to our soul when we become too focused on our circumstances, whether they are bad or good. God, if I'm poor, I might panic. I might panic and I might deceive others and become dishonest and begin stealing to get what I think I need. So please keep me from that. Because I might profane your name in trying to acquire what I think I have to have. God, if I'm rich, I might be so satisfied that I no longer see that I need You. I might be so self-sufficient that I might forget You're my provider. So God, don't let me be in poverty and don't let me be in riches. God, let me have what is needful for me. And let me be content in you. That church is the only prayer in the book of wisdom, which tells me that is the wise way for us to pray when it comes to material things and immaterial things. I'll give you an example of an immaterial concern. In the New Testament, Paul tells the church that he did not preach to them with words of eloquent wisdom. In Paul's day, Being able to persuade people with your oratory skills, with your powerful rhetoric, was highly valued. As a matter of fact, in in ancient times, in Paul's day, they would bring in professional speakers who would give, I guess, what maybe ancient TED Talks, as we would call them today, but they would bring these people in to entertain people. And Paul, knowing that, he tells the church, yeah, that's not how I preached I didn't measure up to that. My preaching wasn't that type of powerful, eloquent, persuasive speech. And then Paul says, but that's how you know it was from God. Because you can't say, Paul persuaded me with his powerful rhetoric. You know that it was the Spirit of God that caused you to believe. I will confess to all of you, I would like to be much more eloquent when I speak. I get really frustrated when I have bad grammar. 
And I probably have that a lot. And I do work on trying to develop my skills in preaching. But I think the wisest prayer that I could pray would be, God, don't let me be such a rich, abundant speaker that no one can see your power. And God, don't let me be so bad at it that no one can hear your message. Give me what is needful for me. Give me what is needful for others. I think that's an example of wisdom in an immaterial way. That this prayer is pointing us to these things, to pray this way. This life truth in your handout. All of this pointing us to being content in God and content in what God decides is needful for us. Contentment, biblically, is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. Rather, contentment is a learned trait. It is a learned trait in which the Christian knows how to trust and value God's work of spiritual growth. Biblical contentment is often displayed through generosity. Being biblically content is often visible in our lives through generosity. So let's break this life truth down just a little bit. Contentment is not complacency. In other words, contentment is not laziness. If you are just like, I'm good the way I am, I don't really need to do anything else, I don't need to work harder, I don't need to get better, I'm just, I'm just going to sit and just kind of coast through life. That, that's not biblical contentment. That's complacency. Again, you should work. You should work diligently. You should try to improve at what you do. I even believe God has designed things that in such a way that like our spiritual gifts that are empowered by Him, there is a way in which we can develop our ability to use those gifts. That we can develop how we see and use those gifts in the life of the church. So I think we should do that. Whether you're preaching, or you're parenting, or you're in a marriage, or you're a craftsman, or whether you're just looking at the material resources and the finances God has given you, we should want to improve. We should desire to grow. But the reality is that even when you desire to grow and be better, a better husband or a better preacher or better at managing your finances for the right reasons, even when you desire that, God is going to have you learn contentment. And you're going to learn contentment through going, going through difficult circumstances. You are going to go through trying times and difficult times in order to learn to be content in Him. And I think learning to become wise, learning to be a person that with your life says, God, give me what is needful for me. Learning to be content like that requires two things. And it's the two things I mentioned in the life truth. Trust and valuing. Growing spiritually. Trust. In Philippians 4, and the references in your notes there, verses 11 and 12, 
Paul says, church, I know how to be brought low. Poverty. And he says, church, I know how to abound. Riches. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's the word he uses. And then he says, here's the secret. Here's the secret to how I have learned to be content. I've learned to trust Christ in everything. He says, I have learned that I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. That's probably a verse you're well familiar with. You might not be well familiar with the context of it. The context of Paul in preaching that verse is, I know what bad times are like, and I know what good times are like, and I know how to be content in both. Because I've learned that Jesus will strengthen me in everything. So it takes trust. It takes trusting God to be content in any circumstance. And then secondly, the second requirement to learn contentment is you have to value spiritual growth. You have to. We have to value growing spiritually more than we value being comfortable. If you value comfort over spiritual growth, your life is always going to be stressed, even as you're trying to pursue Jesus. Because the hard reality is, God uses difficult times to grow us spiritually. So we have to value, when we're going through hard times, what God may be doing through those hard times. In our opening reading today, Paul is warning Timothy about something. False teachers. And Paul tells Timothy, you're, you're a young leader, young pastor, you're going to run into, as you go, you're going to run into false teachers. You're going to run into people who are teaching a doctrine that is not the gospel. And let me give you, let me give you a heads up, Timothy. Two things to understand. Number one, these false teachers are motivated by something. One of the things they're motivated by is their own personal gain. They want to get rich off of people. They want to get rich off of preaching their doctrine. And the second thing, Timothy, the second thing you need to know is that their best audience the audience where they're most welcomed will be the people who also want to get rich from being godly. And then he tells Timothy, here's what you need to know. The true riches of this life is becoming godly. The true riches of this life is becoming like God because that's the only thing you get to take with you in the end. You don't get to take anything you acquire on this earth, only what you've acquired in you. And then he says to him, godliness with contentment is great gain. When you are content with God providing what is needful for you so that you can grow in godliness, that's true riches. When you can learn to value going through difficult times because you know God is using it to shape your character, that's true riches. So contentment is not complacency. It's a learned trait. And it requires trust 
and valuing God's work of spiritual growth in order to truly be content. And what I found interesting in those two passages in Philippians 4 and 1 Timothy 6 is that immediately following Paul talking about contentment is Paul in both of those passages giving an exhortation on giving. Right after he talks about being content, he exhorts the church to give to the partnership of ministry and to be generous to one another. He says, if you in the church, if you do have something, learn to be rich in good works and share with other people and be generous to them so that you can glorify God with your generosity. Generosity is a good work that comes out of being content. Generosity is a good work that comes out of godly contentment. Here's why I think that. When you trust, when you trust that God will always provide what is needful for you, then you feel a freedom to share what you have. Because you're convinced He'll always give you what you need. So, if you don't believe that, then you're going to hoard your things. Because what if I don't have enough for tomorrow? What if I don't have enough for next week? Remember the people in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, every day God gave them manna? I think every day except the Sabbath, they were told, only gather enough for today. What happened when they didn't trust God and they gained too much? It all rotted in their tents and they had a big mess on their hands. Because God was teaching them every day, I'll give you what's needful for you. When we trust God, we are ready to be generous. Because we trust God will give us what's needful for us. When we value godliness, even over our own comfort, then we will find ourselves sacrificing to help others. If we only want to be comfortable all the time, we're never going to sacrifice anything. Because we want to be comfortable. We might give, but not to the point that it's a sacrifice. You can give and it not actually cost you anything. But when you value godliness and you want to be like Jesus, Jesus gave everything He had. And He valued what His Father had told Him to do. So out of godly contentment comes godly generosity. Proverbs talks about generosity over and over and over again. Proverbs talks about contentment. Proverbs warns against poverty. Says you'll have difficulty if you're poor. And Proverbs warns about being rich. And says you'll have difficulties if you're rich. And Agur... I said it differently that time. Agur is praying in wisdom for neither. God, give me what is needful. Let me be content. I want us to explore some practical wisdom on generosity from Proverbs. And as we look at these four things, practical wisdom on generosity, I want to ask you to think about Jesus. Jesus. 
I want you to see how you can find Jesus in these truths from Proverbs. I want you to remember that as Proverbs describes people of wisdom as being people who are generous, I want you to remember that the wisest man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember that the most generous, sacrificial man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. It is wise to be content. Think Jesus was the most content man in God that ever lived. It is wise to be content that you might trust God, value what He's doing in your life, and be a generous person. For Truths of practical wisdom from Proverbs on generosity. Number one, being generous is an investment in your future. Being generous is an investment in your own future. Alright, so again, conventional wisdom is to, to ensure the best for you in the future, hold things back. Alright? Now, I don't think the Bible is against saving. So I want to be clear about that. I think Proverbs shows us it is wise to save. But it is not wise to hoard everything that you have as a way of ensuring your future. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, It is the one who gives freely that grows all the richer. The one who brings a blessing will be enriched. The one who withholds what he should give will suffer want. Proverbs says, the wisdom of the kingdom is counter to our own wisdom. If you really want to ensure your future, be a generous person. Be a person who says, God, give me what is needful for me, and then look at how you can share it. And Proverbs says, the one who gives freely, that person will continue to grow rich. Maybe not materially. Maybe materially. But that's where contentment is trusting God that whatever riches looks like, we're satisfied with. When you know, Proverbs says, that God is calling you to give, but you hold back because you want to preserve yourself, Proverbs says you're denying that God cares for you. And you're denying His power to keep providing for you. And even though you think you're protecting yourself, in the end, you're going to suffer want. You're going to have lack. When you trust God, you can give cheerfully. And you will be enriched in your giving. Proverbs 28.8 says that giving to people in need is a better financial plan than multiplying your wealth through business dealings. If you really want to try to multiply what you have, it's better to do that through giving to others and those who are in need than it is through interest and profit. So I said, look for Jesus. The generosity of Jesus provided for the future of every person in this room who believes in Him. And to be like Jesus means we are investing in our own eternity and we're also investing in the eternity of others just like He did. When we're sacrificially generous to others for the purpose of pointing them to Christ, we are investing in their eternity and we're investing in our own.
Secondly, in Proverbs we learn that God considers your giving to those in need as a gift to Him. God considers your giving to a person in need as a gift to Him. So in Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 14, He says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults that man's Maker. But whoever is generous to someone in need honors that man's Maker. Honors God. Jesus saw what He was doing and how He sacrificed for us. Jesus saw that as worship to God. Jesus said, Father, I have glorified You by accomplishing what You gave Me to do. So Jesus saw what He was doing in sacrificing for us as being worship. A sacrifice for God. When you and I desire to be like Jesus, and we sacrifice for other people and be generous to them, Proverbs says God considers that an act of worship. That you are worshiping Him by being generous to someone else in His name. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, Paul says something very similar. And Paul goes a little further in 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Paul says that when you cheerfully give to the Lord, and you do so giving to Him, giving to His church, giving to other people, that God will enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in every way. So, let me be clear. There's no promise in the Bible that if you give materially to God and others in His name, that God will give materially back to you. There's no scriptural promise of that. But here is what there is a promise. There is a promise in God's Word, a principle of wisdom in Proverbs and in the New Testament that if you worship God by being sacrificially generous, God will ensure you always have something to be generous with. And He even says He will increase to you so that your generosity can increase. Maybe that will be material. Maybe He will increase your finances for the purpose of you having more to give with. But you know what? It may be immaterial. He may increase the blessing of your marriage so that your marriage has more to offer other people in their marriages. He may increase the gifts of God that are in you so that you might be generous with those gifts and other people might grow in godliness. But the principle of the New Testament is if you really want to be sacrificial in giving, then give. And God will always make sure you have what you need to be generous. Number three, practical wisdom on generosity. Being generous requires planning and moderation. And in particular there, I mean moderation in living. Being generous requires planning and moderation. In other words, church, you're not going to fall into being generous. It's not going to accidentally happen. I will tell you what we often think. 
When God gives me an abundance, I'm going to be abundantly generous. When God start, when, when God gets me to that point where I have more than enough, and I'm really going to be generous. I don't really think it works that way. I think God says, what have I given you today? So be generous with that. You might say, well, but it's not going to be very much. And He says, that's okay. Because what I'm requiring of you is to be generous in accordance with what I've given you. One person's amount of generosity may not equal another person's amount of generosity. Proverbs says, Proverbs 21 Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. But in a foolish man's dwelling, there's nothing because he's devoured it. So here's the picture. In order to be generous, you have to make a plan. And in order to be generous, you have to live at times in moderation so that you have something to give. If you devour everything God gives you, you have nothing to be generous with. But if you plan and live in moderation according to what He has given you, then you'll have something that you can offer others. However little it may be. The amount is not the concern. The heart is. 1 Corinthians 16 in the New Testament points people to systematically set aside something on a routine basis and store it up. So that's wisdom. Figure out what you're what you have and systematically set aside something store it up so that you're ready to give now in the case 1st Corinthians 16 it was to give to the church it was to give to mission work but i think the principle stands in our lives for giving and generosity don't devour all that you have but systematically set aside in accordance to what god has given you Something that you can be generous with. If you devour and consume everything God gives you, you won't have enough to be generous with. I remember years ago as a family, we used to, we were routinely giving to the church, but then we set a little money aside in our budget and we called it a generosity fund. And it wasn't a, wasn't a whole lot. I think when we started doing it, it was maybe $50 a month or something like that. That money was for one thing. If we came across somebody that month who was in need, that was what we did with that money. And we planned in our budget something to be generous with. And we often found that God put people in our lives that needed that generosity. Jesus modeled this kind of living, this kind of humility and meekness. He lived in that way. And especially the last three years of his life, he lived so that he could be sacrificially generous to people all the time. I get asked uh, a good bit about giving. Like, we don't teach on giving a ton here. We probably need to do more of that because it is part of discipleship. Sometimes we take for granted that people kind of know that and what the Bible says about giving. But I'll give you a quick synopsis of what my beliefs are and what I think the Bible teaches. I I do think the New Testament tells us to give to the church and to be generous to others simultaneously. 
I think in the Bible, you see from beginning to end the people of God setting aside a portion of what God has given them in order to give that back to Him, to the work of His church and and to help other people. And in the Old Testament, it was a strict percentage. And that's where we get the word tithe from. Now, my belief of how I, I read the Bible is that when you get to the New Testament, the percentage is de-emphasized. And what is emphasized is sacrificial generosity. And so the way that I view that is I think a tithe, that picture of setting aside a percentage, I think it is a godly thing to do. But I think we can get caught up in a percentage. In other words, I think a tithe or a percentage of giving as we see in the Old Testament, is a good goal. It might be that you're, you're in a place and you say, well, I don't really feel like financially we can do that. Okay, so then work toward it. But honestly, sometimes God blesses us to where that tithe doesn't even represent sacrifice. And so I think that we should always be praying and considering, God, what am I to give? What does it look like for me to partner with the ministry of my church financially? What does it look like for me to be generous to other people? What does it look like for me to be sacrificial? And I think to get to a place of being a person who glorifies God in generosity, we have to pray about those things. We have to learn that I remember my first pastor, the person I consider to be my first true pastor, I remember him saying, some things God gives you is for you. Something, some things God gives you is not for you. He gives it to you because He intends for it to go through your hands to someone else. In worship to Him. Finally, number four. Generosity is a form of voluntary weakness that ultimately will result in immeasurable strength. Being sacrificially generous is a form of voluntary weakness that ultimately results in immeasurable strength. Alright, so to give of yourself is to weaken yourself. There are things that God calls us to do that weakens ourselves in the natural. But we're called to weaken ourselves naturally so that we might be strengthened spiritually. Fasting is a great example of that. If you practice fasting or if you've ever done that, it weakens you physically. But spiritually, it strengthens you. When you give sacrificially, you weaken yourself. You weaken your bank account. You weaken your energy. You weaken the amount of time that you have. But when you sacrifice those things for the glory of God, God promises to give you strength. Because you're learning to be like Jesus. Proverbs 22 says that some people in this world, will take advantage of the poor in order to increase their own wealth. But other people, wise people, will help the needy. Proverbs also says that some people will give, but they'll give to rich people. They'll find rich people and they'll give to them because they hope that the rich people 
will give back more to them than they gave. And Proverbs says, but the wise, the wise know how to take care of the poor and the needy. And in Proverbs 22, verse 4, he says, for the humble, for the people who love God, for the people who trust God, for the people who desire to please God, God will give them riches and honor and life. So church, in conclusion, let me say this. Learning how to trust God to give you what is needful and to value being like Christ who is sacrificially generous, that is godliness. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was the richest man, excuse me, Jesus Christ was, well, He was, He was the richest man who ever lived in that He was in eternity prior to descending to the earth and He was the heir of all things. He was the one through whom all things were created. All things were for Him. All things were through Him. And He stepped into His creation and became poor. And He did that. He subjected Himself to poverty. Physical poverty. And on the cross, He subjected Himself to spiritual poverty. Because He set aside who He was the Son of God, fully God, He, in a way that we don't understand, but He set that aside in that so that He might take on our sin and receive the wrath of God that was due our sin. So He became poor and subjected Himself to poverty in order to be generous to us and share with us. The Gospel's mind-blowing. Jesus, who had everything... <laughs> became poor for one purpose, that He might return to the Father and take everything and share it with you. His inheritance that was His, He subjected Himself to the cross that He might share that inheritance with you, that it might become yours. And church, He gives us the honor of living that way. He gives us the honor of living as sacrificial, sacrificially generous people. And someone might look at you in your generosity and say, why, why would they do that? And the response is, because I know the one who's been generous to me. Jesus feared the Lord and He gave to us in need. And when we practice contentment and we trust God and we give to others, Jesus lifts us up. And honestly, He gives us more than we could ever imagine. The greatest retirement plan there is is to be a man like Jesus or a woman like Jesus or a child like Jesus. Sacrificially generous. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back up.
Look, living this way may not earn you all those material things you hope for. And if you do earn those material things you hope for, I can tell you that God hasn't just given it to you for yourself. You may dream of something. You may have a dream home in mind or a dream bank account or a dream car. And I can tell you if God makes that dream come true, His intention is, it's for you to be generous with. But what I know God will do is enrich us spiritually to be able to be like Him. To be able to experience Him in our generosity. This morning we have some prayer partners that are going to be over here to my left. And I want to... I don't need to be the Holy Spirit this morning, so if there is something you would like to pray about or pray for, and you want some people to pray for you, that's, that's what they're here for. It may be something that the Lord has brought to mind in this message. It may be something the Lord brought to mind when we were reading Scripture earlier. It may be something He put on your heart when we were singing. It may be a burden you brought into the church with you this morning. But if you would like someone to pray with you, that's why they're here. And I would encourage you to come and and be prayed for and receive that exhortation that can come from expressing to someone else your need. I in particular want to ask this morning that if you need physical healing or healing with an ailment, maybe mental or emotional, that you would consider coming and being prayed for and asking God to help you. The Bible says that. The Bible says if there are sick in the church, they should come to the leaders, to the elders, and ask to be prayed for. So we should do that in obedience to Him. And if this morning there is anything that God is working on your heart regarding your relationship with Jesus, would you please do me the honor of not leaving here today before you share that with me? Or you can find Nick and share it with him. Maybe it's an issue of salvation. Not being certain in that. Or maybe it is a sin that you're struggling with or just something that you know is impeding your relationship with Christ. If that's going on, please let us know and we would love to partner with you in prayer or maybe set aside a time this week to talk. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I know beyond any doubt it has been preached imperfectly today. But I trust in the power of Your Word and of the gifts of Your Spirit to cause us to be able to hear what You want us to hear. And now I ask God that You will help us to do what is right when we hear from You, and that is respond. So Father, this morning, whatever responding to You looks like, if it is a lifting of a hand and singing loudly, if it is a quiet bowing, if it is being prayed for by someone, if it is coming to the front and kneeling, if it is kneeling in our our chair right where we are, God, if it is lifting up our voice to You, if it is addressing what You're talking to us about, God, whatever that is, please help us to respond because You are here and You are with us and You are near and You are a good Father who loves us. God, mold us into people who are content in You. 
Help us to pray that You will give us what is needful for us. Keep us, God, from extreme circumstances that would pull us from You. Give us contentment in You, God. And help us to be people who sacrificially give that we might make Christ known. In Your name I ask these things. Amen.